Tim yeah, got Ryan's dream on the podcast. I am pumped, dude. After talking with you, man, we talked offline for about an hour. I've learned so much for you, man. I'm just ready to I'm ready to go, dude. I'm the bird flapping its wing. I've been flapping in the wrong direction for a long time. And <laughs> and I need people like you, mentors, that are gonna help me just steer me in the right direction, dude. So I appreciate that. Ah, uh, you've already got you've got a killer story, bro. Come on, share some of your or share some of your background, where you came from, because you didn't start off with the easy life. Nobody handed you a silver spoon and said, hey, here it is. Like, enjoy. Oh, man, that would have sure been nice, man. But, you know, I, even though I had a crappy beginning and a lot of us have a crappy story, yeah. dude, that gives us the advantage. Because when people realize struggling builds strength, man, you know, we're, we're going to get from, from from my childhood, man. But, uh, you know, I have so much that has happened in my life that has given me a, the ability to be on hundreds of stages across the United States to be able to connect with K through 12 and corporations and evening events because we all struggle. And I've learned that. We've all struggled. But you started out in homeless shelter where you're like, I mean, I don't even know how to deal with that because I've never, I haven't been there. Yeah. Right? Well, man, you know what? Uh, we'll backtrack a little a little farther. You know, everybody asks, why, why'd you get adopted? You know, like, what were your parents doing? You know, as a child, you know, we, we know, you know, in the entrepreneur life is you got to take accountability. Well, I can't take accountability from what my parents did, but I can take accountability of my own life moving forward, right? When I was young, before, you know, I was born, I guess, my mom, she struggled, man. She was raped twice by the age of 12 years old Crap, by an old twice. man. And then both of her parents died by the age of 12 years old. Holy cow. Now, you have kids. I have kids. How would that destroy a children's childhood? Dude, that would mess it up. It would mess That'd it up. Be very hard. Yeah, because the most important part of our life, you know, is the early childhood, the early development. That's that's actually where it all happens. Yes. Crazy enough. You know, my mom, she spun out of control. She had my brother at 17, my other brother at 18, me at like 19, 20, right? We're living in East LA. My, my real family's nuts, dude. Crazy. You know, when I was 17 years old, I went to visit my, you know, went to visit them. Yeah. Dude, the horns tattooed on some of my cousin's heads, screaming out in the street. This is our last name name you know this is shit you know what i mean i was just blown away asking me what drugs and what women i wanted for the night and again i was adopted and raised in utah so going back to east la san Bernardino area i was just like oh my gosh i know why my mom left because she didn't want us to end up like that oh yeah absolutely man. my dad beat my mother into a coma he was abusive man abusive wow. you know i have uh, family members telling me that you know he would he would just be so gone dude he would fill up a punching bag full of rocks and go out and just punch it. He wanted to be the biggest and the baddest person around. And, you know, before we get into any more of the story, I want to, you know, tell people that, you know, he's changed his life. And no matter what happens in your life, you can change and, you know, repent or, you know, pray to the the universe and, you know, ask for forgiveness. And, and I know that he's done that. So we'll get that out of the way. But he beat my mom into a coma. My mom got out, woke up, I guess, DCFS got involved. She didn't want to be in California anymore. So we left California and we moved to Colorado. But Bro, when we went moved to Colorado, you know, my mom, single mother of three, just had her fourth child. I remember men coming in and out of our lives all the time. You know, my mom was looking for somebody to love her, to appreciate her, to respect her. And, you know, sad to say, she she really just attracted the men that lived the rugged life and in the end would beat her. And yeah, I remember at five years old running to the jail screaming for my mom. You know, I remember one night my mom getting beat and walking home and us meeting her at the road and seeing her face bloody. And, you know, as a child to see your mother screaming and crying and weeping and, and you're just hugging onto her thinking like, who did this to my mom? You know, I, as a little kid, you know, I was a Ninja Turtle, dude. 
you know, <laughs> more like a midget turtle, you know, for the listeners, I'm five foot three and a half, dude, I'm cute. You know what I mean? But I always worked on that roundhouse kick and I never got to use it on one of those guys that, that, that was treating my mom pretty negative. My dad, he came to Colorado, picked us up. We drove in the back of the truck to Provo, Utah. That's what got me in Utah. Okay. Now, when we came to Utah, we had nowhere to live, dude. I, like, I remember sleeping in apartments. I remember walking around Provo all day long, taking naps under the center, sleeping under the center street bridge. Dude, you did? My dad, be, wow. yeah, dude, my dad being so, I don't want to say, you know, he was so lost or he was on drugs. I don't know, but I remember screaming and crying that I was burning my feet on the asphalt and him not helping me put my shoes on. But again, I don't want to paint this evil picture of my parents you know and one of my songs I believe you know I told my parents I forgive you for everything that we've been through but again my parents they loved me they did they really I remember the hugs I remember, but when your parents are struggling with drugs bro the addiction comes before the love oh yeah many times many many times and I was a drug addict you know I was addicted to drugs later on in my life and we'll get into that but I remember parking a car at the Pioneer Park in Provo to sleep dude and I remember screaming at my dad dude I had both of my feet up kicking his seat saying dad I don't want to sleep here there was homeless people there was freaking homeless people that were on the other side of the sidewalk from us winter time came and we were invited to sleep at a family member's house you know and we didn't sleep in their house we didn't sleep in the garage somebody made a house out of the garage that was already living there we slept behind the garage and a little shack, building, room, whatever you would like to call it. I went back years later just to verify my story. Dude, it was sad to see space heaters and blankets. They warmed that little place for the winter. And my dad, he kept getting in trouble when he got out of jail. We just loaded up in the car and we started to drive through Spanish Fort Canyon. I don't know what or why or where he was planning on going, but there was a homeless shelter in Helper. And because we had nowhere to go, you can guess where we would sleep. Oh yeah. You know, we slept at the homeless shelter. And I remember sneaking down the the stairs and trying to steal food from the kitchen, bro. Early in the mornings. You can't stay at the homeless shelter during the day. And I don't know how long we were at the homeless shelter. You know, I was young. I just remember the most, I guess, memorable parts of this. You know, it could have been a week. could have been a couple days. could have been two, three weeks. I don't know. I tried to ask our real dad. Like, I even tried to ask him about my mom. And he said, who's Shirley? You know what I mean? Yeah. So, I can't put together a lot of pieces. But when I was older, I realized, holy shit. Like, I lived in a homeless shelter. I slept. Like, what? <laughs> it clicked. Like, yeah. you know, I was trying to put a band-aid on this life. But it's like, when I started going to counseling and started to open up about my life that's it was tough man because it's like holy cow like you know when you're a child you don't realize that you're poor you don't really realize what your parents are struggling with but as you get older and you realize that you have the anxiety and the depression and the mental health and self you know what I mean you have all these problems you have to go down the line to where you fell down and that was oh, my yeah. childhood and uh, you know during the day we would walk around the homeless shelter you know ask people for food and just play as kids you know my dad got a job in Huntington Utah so when we were in Huntington, Utah, he was working during the day, you know, we had nowhere for us to go. But luckily, there was a man that came and knocked on the door and said, Hey, you know, we, do we looked rough, no haircuts, washing clothes in the bathtub. And yeah. he said, bring your kids over to my house, my wife could teach them how to read and write a couple days later, that man brought over a brand new washer and dryer for us. Amazing, amazing person, you know, to shorten the story a little bit, we went back to price for some reason to eat at the homeless shelter or whatever. My dad got drunk. He was using some substances, uh, whatever the case may be. He started to punch the windows. Keep in mind, man, three little kids in back and he started to just scream and punching the windows until the windows would freaking break. Dude, you know how thick the windows are? He just started punching and I remember him yelling, there are devils inside of our vehicles. Red and blue lights, they they started to chase us. They grabbed my dad, they put him in the back of the car. Once again, dude, I was a freaking black belt. So I jumped out of the car, I tried to rescue my dad. I didn't know enough karate. You know, the 
the uh, police officer, man, God bless those in uniforms, man. I don't know how he kept a straight face and how he was able to comfort three screaming kids uh, because that was the last time I'd ever live with my dad again when I watched the red and blue lights disappear. And uh, the police officer, man, I remember him fixing his rear view mirror, you know, tilting it down so he could see the, the tears in our eyes, you know, and he just said, you guys are going to be all right. You know, there's a foster home we're going to take you to. Uh, you're going to be okay. You know, we got to this foster home and like, you know, many people who are familiar with the foster care, you don't stay together, man. You live in a stranger's home. You're in and out. You have no connections. Your emotions and your feelings are just like, what did I do? Like, where's my mom? Like, why didn't they want me? Where's my dad? Like, do they not love me anymore as a child, man? And a couple of weeks went by, a cop came and got one of my brothers. And I remember crying on the floor on that foster home. And I was just like, I have no mom, no dad dad, no little brother. They took one of my brothers away. It was just me and my oldest brother left. And I remember him grabbing a blanket and comforting me. And then a couple days or weeks later, another cop car came. Dude, and I had so much anxiety, man. I uh, I watched that car drive up the gravel driveway. And uh, dude, I remember just seeing the dirt lift off the tires. And I was <laughs> just so sad, man. And uh, before the police officer could speak, we looked right in the backseat of the cop car and it was my brother. The family that gave us the washer and dryer and the lady that taught us how to read while my dad was working in Huntington, they wanted to keep us together. Dude, they had 38 students going through their house a day and they had six girls of their own and one boy. So they had a family of nine and they wanted to bring us three together and keep us together. Dude, I remember pulling up to their house again and, you know, just so the listeners can kind of, you know, see what it was like. Uh, they had a trampoline, dude. And I remember I would jump on the tramp, man. I remember getting to this house after the police officer dropped us off. You know, we got there at nighttime. And I remember the whole family looking down the staircase at like, uh, who are these boys? You know, we're brown boys. They're a white family. They're just like, uh, why are these boys living in our house? Right. And we were nuts, dude. Yeah. You know, coming from just a wild life. I know I always seemed like I was a sugar high. I was all over the place, but. But, you know, the next day I remember going out and jumping on the trampoline, dude, a trampoline, man. And I remember I was the littlest guy in the community, dude. People would slam me and choke slam me, you know, the WWE wrestling moves. And I didn't care that I got my butt kicked, dude. I was having so much fun that I was able to jump on a trampoline and play the Nintendo. You know, those are things that, that other people don't get to experience. Oh, yeah. And when I talk to the youth, I tell the youth, you know, you don't ever make fun of people. You don't ever belittle somebody else because you don't know if they're struggling with food, if they're yeah. hungry. Maybe they don't have money for those nice shoes. You know, maybe they don't have money for the things that you have. So why would you ever talk bad? Maybe they've been sexually abused. Dude, I've talked to so many kids, a 16, 17 year old girl in the state of Utah that said she came up to me in tears after one of my concerts. And she said, Ryan, my family dropped me off at a homeless shelter and drove away with the rest of my family. Holy cow. You never know what somebody's going through. So keep your mouth shut. And to be honest, those who bully other people and those who talk negative about other people, they're the most insecure people. Wow. And they're speaking negative about other people because they have a lack of confidence. <laughs> they didn't go through it. They didn't see what it is. Yep. You, I mean, you look at where you're at. You're up on stages. You're doing events. You got it. You got your own charity. I mean, you're doing a lot of things, but you didn't start that way. I mean, no. that's, I mean, that's really what you're digging into is you, you just didn't come from there. No, man. So you I, had to figure out. I how did. To, how did you take and start rewiring your mind? Because you've made a massive turnaround. So, yeah. It's a huge shift that took place in your life. Yeah. You know, I love that. So, again, going back to the superhero, because that's where it all started, man. I yeah. wanted to be a superhero. Yeah. And, you know, I got cut from the high school basketball team, man. And, you know, there's so much in between there that happened, like my family going and adopting my other brother, because my mom said to them, I will never be able to give my my final, my last, my baby 
the life you've given my other boys, could you take him with and adopt him? So my mother, uh, years later, passed away from suicide. Mm-hmm. All of her children were taken away from her because the choices and the decisions that she made. Growing up, the thing that really inspired me was superheroes, man. I just wanted to be a superhero. I wanted to make a difference. And I went to a jazz game when I was young and I saw a motivational speaker and I thought, one day I'm going to do something where everybody's cheering for me. Everybody <laughs> is going to love me. Right. When I was in like the third grade, dude, there was a motivational speaker that came to the school that I was attending. Everybody went to the high school. And at this time, I remember scrubbing my skin, hoping I would be white underneath my brown skin so I could match my new adopted white family. You know, I was just one of those kids. I just wanted acceptance and I was really loud and I would hide behind my mask and my personality. But when I saw this motivational speaker speak and I saw everybody love him, I told myself one day people are going to love me like that. One day I'm going to be on stages rapping and playing the piano and sharing stories like that guy. Bro, fast forwarding 17 years, 18 years, whatever the exact timeline is. I was on the same exact stage playing the same exact piano, speaking to the same exact school district, doing exactly what that guy did. So what changed is you have to change the way you think. It's like we talked about a minute ago. I I walked in here and I'm just like, dude, I want to do this, 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 and this, and this. I'm flapping my wings. Even if you're flapping your wings in the wrong direction, you're learning because you're still moving. And exactly. And you're knowing what the right direction is and you're knowing what the wrong direction is. Now, I went in the wrong direction for many years. After graduating high school, I was the homecoming king. I joined the military. I wanted to be that superhero. But by the age of 19, I was sued. $30,000 in debt, addicted to drugs. I disobeyed my my parents. I disobeyed the people that had the knowledge to help me throughout life. I decided, no, I make more money than you. I was working in the coal mines at 18 years old, got my $20,000 sign on bonus. You don't know more than me, (laughs) you know? And, uh, I failed, man. Everything I ever worked for, I was sleeping in my car, breaking into apartments at UVU. Dude, it was a very dark and depressing moment sitting in jail cells and addicted to drugs. And there was a unit going to Afghanistan. Yeah. And uh, to make the story short, I was able, thank God, to get on that. And there's amazing, you know, in my book, Conquering Your Coliseum, dude, I go in depth and it's emotional. And I know we're on a podcast, so we don't have time for that. But to make the story short, I went to Afghanistan. Around 32 of the soldiers I was with were hit with an IED, meaning their vehicle was blown up with a bomb. So you could imagine it rung people's bells. The vehicles over there, they're able to withstand a blast. There was one in my unit that was killed. Dude, it was so tough being over there. I was over there trying to change my life, trying to not be a drug addict, trying to be the hero and the warrior that I wanted to become. And one night, dude, I was just, man, I was waking up looking for my weapon. I started to have PTSD. I was just, the only thing that made me happy over there was my mom sent me a little piano, dude, and I would be rapping and singing, you know, you know what I mean? And dude, people would <laughs> call me. Where yeah, you got dude. your music from, huh? man. You know, I started. Sounds like it's one of your tools you learn out. Oh, music bro. Code. Yes. So this when is I, how I yep. this is how I get my head yep. out of pit. What PTSD, you? you know, PTSD, uh, right. all that stuff. So when I got adopted, I'll add that in there. Uh, they had a piano, dude. And I just sit on the piano and I would just play. That was like my therapy and they put me in piano lessons, but I just wanted to write my own music. So whenever I'm having a bad day, dude, I'll just go sit down at the piano. And in Afghanistan, I would go in the RG, dude, I would sing and people were just like, dude, stream, you're getting freaking annoying. You know, like, oh, you know, and even clear up to five years ago, he thinks he's so badass. Oh, he freaking thinks he's going to be a celebrity. One guy at church, bro, came up to me and said, hey, man, people are really sick of seeing your stuff online. Like, it's like, dude, what? We're in the house of the Lord, brother. (laughs) Nobody said you. Yeah, exactly, dude. Exactly. 
exactly. Yep, just that was your choice. Yeah, you don't have to follow me, bro. But I was making such a splash in the water, dude. You couldn't get on Facebook in that community without seeing my stuff, bro. Yeah, yeah. And you want to know what? That means you're you're making some progress. The waves are starting to work in your favor, pushing your raft towards success. You know. You hit a couple things. This is things I even share on my podcast. You said flapping your wings, right? Yeah. I tell people like, look, the biggest gap between you and where you want to go is you didn't start. Start like here's what you need. To, you need to know this up front. When you start, you're gonna suck. Oh, dude. And then you're gonna keep going. Yes. And you're gonna suck. Oh yeah. All the way till one day you yep. suck so little mm-hmm. that you're actually good. Yep. But how you can't get from A to B exactly unless well, you suck first and be okay with it. Yep. You have to, man. And I got on stages, dude. I used to read from a piece of paper. You know how embarrassing it was getting up from people. Hello, my name is Ryan Stream. I'm a motivational speaker and a musician, dude. I hated people that would talk crap. I'd get up on the piano in front of a, a school and there was like 800 kids and I freaking messed up dude and I forgot my song and I had to get up and say hey you want to know what? I'll be honest with you guys I forgot my song but just because you're a professional dude and I just flipped it and was like we all fall down we all mess up we all suck at times yep. you just got to get back up deal with the punches and keep on moving forward okay, you know so I just I did that you know in Afghanistan I just would go out and I would write music and it gave me a foundation of uh, true credentials of somebody that has conquered their coliseum you know that's actually went to war and actually has fought and battled not only their mental health but their life and there's a starfish story on my uh, uh, you know Ryan stream on YouTube please check it out but it talks about a kid that's made a difference and it was a silly story about a starfish and I thought I'm going to be like the guy with the starfish and so I would throw out candy to these kids I would play with these kids I would rap to these kids but the kids started to bring bombs up to the vehicles and kill the soldiers in our province so uh, you know we were told that we were no longer allowed to get out of the vehicle and I hated that dude because I just loved to get out and play with the kids and make them smile and when you're sitting in a vehicle for hours and hours a day anyways man I don't want to give up the full story on the podcast I'd really like people to check out my stuff but war sucks dude and uh it has some things about it that are very hard but it has some things about it where you can serve and you can give and you can see the bravest men the strongest men cry because dude they're just even they're just having a hard time or the sad things about your leaders getting attacked and your platoon daddy you know having to get sent home after a few months because his brain was bleeding and that was the guy that held up his weapon and said hey we're gonna freaking fight for america you know three months man Three months. He made like it that. three, four, five months. He was out, out of the fight. We had 23, 24-year-old guys leading the charge, you know, finding bombs in Afghanistan. I, I came home from Afghanistan. I started struggling, fighting, PTSD, dude, all this stuff. And I just, I got a job at uh, Vivint and they did my background check and I got fired. I got let go. And so I got a job at the buckle. Dude, I was just That's wild, bro. Wild. A lot of people at Vivint weren't necessarily mm. all up and up all the yeah, time. Yeah, dude. So, you know, and maybe it was God uh, pushing me out the door towards something something else because I ended up going on another deployment two months after I married my wife. And after that deployment, I came home to an eighth month old daughter that I met for the first time. And, uh, you know, my wife, Elizabeth, you know, her business stream beauty, you know, show her some support, man. She is truly an angel in disguise and a hero. And she deserves everything good in this world. Because, you know, if you're married to somebody in the military, if you're married to somebody that's traveling a lot or just struggling with truly the conflicts of life you know it takes a team counseling mentorship <laughs> we've done it all man and uh i'll just I'll, I'll, I'll fast forward a lot dude i broke my promises you know instead of making her laugh and smile all the time i made her cry and i would punch holes in the walls i was mad and i was angry and then outside of our house i was hey what's up how's it going because dude i was just so broken and i didn't know how to bridge the gap right. mentally like okay what's wrong with me i woke up one night with my little girl's hair in my hands lifting her head up out of the bed because I got attacked and I thought 
you know, man, I don't know if it was my friend or my enemy, but I was looking and I would wake up and I would search my property, dude. I was just doing all these weird things. And I, I, I just, man, I started to cry and I'm like, okay, my battling, my war experiences weren't the worst. Like what the heck? There's people that had it so much worse than me. Like, why am I having these crazy dreams and thoughts? And you know, so then I just started to drink, man. I started to get deep into pornography. I started to just self-medicate and cope with things that were destructive, not only to my life, but to my family, to my job. I ended up losing my job. I got sent home twice. And let's keep in mind, it was about a $75,000 a year job, you know, at a chemical plant. Pretty good good gig. That's a good gig. And then I just started a speaking career and I was on leave from the military because, dude, I just couldn't hold it together. And it came down to me going up to Camp Williams. And, uh, you know, one of the guys shaking my hands was like, hey, you know, you served your country honorably after 13 years. But I think it's, you know, it's time that you go focus on what you're going to do. And you know, keeping that fan. I was in tears. The lady that was with me was in tears. You know, it's very difficult to hear that. So when I walked out of that room, I was so glad to be out of the military. I loved the military, but man, I just had to keep my family. I couldn't even keep my job. I was just at the VA medical center in tears. And I'm like, I'm going to lose it all. I know it. And uh, after I lost my job, I was on my way home and I was like, I'm going to kill myself. Like I've been to suicide prevention courses. I've driven by this block stopping many times. And I said, four miles outside of the town of Delta, Utah, I'm going to run my car into that. And I was going like 110 miles an hour, dude. I could hear the demons and the angels. And if you don't think those are real, man, dude, I I would, any of your listeners, man, when you lose control, no matter what, you know, in your relationships, at your job, in your life, when you lose control, you could screw your whole life up. That's why people, you know, me doing drugs, people that go to prison, people that are having to deal with problems that they wouldn't had to have deal with had they learned how to control themselves. I lost control, man. And uh, I remember, you know, the devil saying, they're the demons, whatever you would like to, your family will be taken care of. They're going to have your insurance money. You got insurance money from the military. You got insurance money from your job. Like, you know, they're going to have money. You know, your bills are about paid off. You live in a duplex, you know, it's like, and then the angel said, why would you ever leave? It was actually, why would you leave your family alone without a dad? When your mother passed away from suicide and you had to live a whole life of what would it be like if my mom was here? That would cause you to stop. Yeah. (laughs) I was punching the steering wheel, cursing God, cursing my job, cursing everybody but myself. Everybody but you. Taking accountability. That's something I didn't understand, a language I didn't speak. You have to take accountability if you want to change. When I got home, man, I pulled up to the driveway and I just sat in the car and I just cried and was like, how am I going to go tell my wife I'm a failure? I got in the house. I just, dude, I started to cry and I was like, I I lost my job. Like we're living in a duplex now. Like we wanted to build a real estate empire and I couldn't even keep a job. (laughs) And I think then my wife knew like I was broke, dude. And you know, she was going to leave me because some of the choices and promises that I've broken and she had every right to leave me many times. But she said one thing that has stuck with me forever and it was really on my first album of three in my book, uh, I Believe in You. She said, Ryan, one of the reasons why I married you is like, I believe in you. Like, you know, one of the hardest things is to tell your spouse that you're a failure. And you know, there's men out there, dude, we we struggle, shoot, man, freaking life's hard for all of us. But one of the most difficult things you have to do is come home and being the provider with just a brand new child. And you know, my other daughter was like three or four at the time. And you're just like, I lost it all. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And for your wife to say, right, I believe in you, man. So nobody tell me that you can't freaking do it, dude. You're I was like, at you the, believe in what? Yeah. What yeah. What thinking. do you believe in? You know, believing in you. you're believing in what? Exactly. You know, and I, I, I just didn't know I was up all night long. And the next day, dude, I went to the job place and I just put in for, I was there for eight 
closing the morning when they opened till close, I was there looking for jobs. Like, please, Lord, let me find something. And the coal mine was hiring and I would call them every other day and be like, hey, I got mining experience from when I was out of high school. And I remember when I got a job interview, my wife, she's like, Ryan, I'm so proud of you. We could leave this small town and move up north. And, you know, keep in mind, we had no job, nothing. And I went into this interview, dude. And, uh, you know, here's some advice for somebody. When you go into an interview, I looked up the company. I looked up the CEO. I looked up the leaders and I knew all about them by the time I got in the door. So you want to talk about the podcast? Let's talk about the Steelers, the Padres. Let's talk about, oh, your high school experience in, you know, 1978 when you won the, the high school championship. Dude, I went in there with ammunition. Right. And I walked out of there with the job and I went in and I was talking to some of the pay ladies and then I saw the coal miners come up, dude. And gosh, I was heartbroken because they came up and they were black. They were filthy. I just remember saying, why, God? Like, why do I have to work here? You know, shout out to all the coal miners, dude. I mean, you know, when you get years of experience, it's a lot easier because you know what to do, dude. But when you're shoveling for hours a day or you're, you know, you're walking and you don't know when the roof's going to fall. And, you know, shout out to my buddy that owns the dream, you know, boxcar. He's out of work right now because, you know, he had coal fall on him and, you know, thankfully it didn't fall on him, his head, but it fell on his hand and he had to have surgery just recently. So, uh, you know, Mike Robinson, dude, he's from here. He's awesome. He started a, a brand called The Dream. The dude is a freaking Jedi, you know, but you have people that are willing to go. And again, we choose to, right? I don't want to say, oh, I had to. I choose to work here, but I just was like blown away by how dirty they, I mean, you come up, a white person <laughs> comes out black, dude, and you could tell where the sweat marks were. So anyways, but you know, man, the Lord has a plan and sometimes you have yeah. to trust the process. So, you know, when I left my last job, oh, stream's going to be fired by Christmas. He's a dumbass, like all this stuff. And so I decided I'm not going to, I'm up here. Nobody really knows me. And if you do know me, you saw my music videos online, like I'm going to be a freaking Jedi. So I started going to college and I, dude, I had the hardest time learning. Like I was the kid that failed, you know, like one of the reasons why I got cut from the basketball team is I had an F, you know, like I just struggled academically and uh, I ended up getting a degree from uh, UVU, man. I ended up, uh, you using my four days off because I worked on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I went yeah. to school, got an education. I went and started a speaking business, starting my wife's business, started a nonprofit. Now I'm speaking all over, dude. I broke out of the country. I started to speak in, you know, once in Mexico. And had I not put my trust in the, you know, whatever you, you know, we all believe in different things, God, the right. universe or whatever. If you didn't trust the process, dude, you just, like we said, just flap your wings and there's going to be somebody like you Somebody like other individuals that I know that are going to be like, dude, I love your story. Tell me about it. Oh, yeah. oh my gosh, dude. Let me help you bridge the gap because, dude, you've probably had some pretty crazy experiences in your life. Life's not easy for everybody, especially if you're an entrepreneur because, yep. dude, you're just not clocking in and clocking out. It's like, hey, I don't want to work the 40 hours a week. I don't think anybody really knows. You're not working the 40 hours a week. You're working 120 hours a week because you're waking up checking emails. You're getting woken up in the middle of the night and you're constantly thinking about what you need to do to not only feed your family, but to feed the other people that are working for you. Absolutely. So to the listeners, dude, I'm still in the coal mine and that blows people away because I'm working three days a week in the coal mine. And people say, you know, hey, you need to burn your ships, right? 1913 Cortez. Oh, burn your ships. Uh, we're going to take this whole country or we're all going to die. And they ended up, you know, taking the all the gold Mexico had and, you know, they were able to use their boats to get home, right? They burn their ships. I guess I'm going to be one of those guys that you're following that I would love to burn my ships. I'm learning how to bridge the gap. So if you're following me, dude, I'm not this huge success story. I'm the guy that's climbing up the ladder with my hand up saying, Mike, hey, man, hey, hey, hey. 
and Mike's reaching down to me. You know, I want to be the guy that's the diamond in the coal mine, man. And uh, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I've been so fortunate to speak in front of K through 12, you know, dozens of times this year in corporate events. You know, I rap, country, piano, been on MTV, won the Verizon Wireless Salute Award for America. I've been on the Wolf Radio Station. I've done uh, my own shows now with thousands of people in the crowds. And uh, the biggest thing that I love about all this, people say, what's the biggest part of the small success? I like to say the small success that I have is, is to be able to serve people. Absolutely. To be able to be on the stage and say, hey, you know, I have some information that possibly could help you. And I was one of those people that struggled again in English class. Dude, my parents used to pay me when I'd get a C minus. Ryan, we'll do whatever you can. We'll pay you, you know. And uh, now I wrote a top seller on Amazon, dude, at, you know, 800, 900 books in the first two, three months. I think we're up to four months now. We need to actually dive into that, bro, because yeah. like your book title, Conquering Your Coliseum. I mean, yeah. if that's not, if that doesn't paint you, you said hero. You got to be like a Jedi to walk out into a Coliseum anyways to do yep. that. So you're like, dude, like just, just because you're down here. In fact, if I wouldn't be surprised if there was a lot of slaves and stuff that didn't have the good life down there. Well, what's nuts, dude, is if you look at the history throughout the Coliseum, it was yeah. the slaves that battled first. But when you get attention, when you get, you know, the, you had rich people that started to fight. I would invite everybody to look up the history of that. You had people that wanted to fight because they wanted the fame. Yes. They wanted people screaming their name. Yeah. Right? But if you don't know how to fight in the Coliseum, what do you need to do? You need to learn. Better if you run. don't know how to fight, you need to learn. Yeah. So in my book, Conquering Your Coliseum, I use five simple steps. These are probably more for the basic readers or those that don't really know about, you know, inspiration or motivation. But, you know, Break most, down, dude. yeah, dude, most, you know, people may know about this. But again, I wanted to go after those like myself that have a real time understanding. Step one, before you do anything in your life, you need to do a self-evaluation. Oh, I already know about that. Okay, you're struggling at home. Did you do a self-evaluation? No. Okay, you're struggling with finances. Did you do a self-evaluation? No. People, even though they know, oh, I know of self-evaluation. It's like, well, are you doing it? You know, why are you still yeah. overweight? You know, why aren't you making the $100,000 plus? Oh, it's his fault, her fault, or someone else's fault. No, it's your fault. You know what you said, right? You just said it just now, and you said it before, and I want to... Br- even mention that you just said taking accountability yep that's step two all right let's go into step two step two taking accountability you know mike i would never do it but i I reached across the table and slapped you in the face how could you take accountability for that that was my fault right it's like what i what you just slapped me i'm gonna freaking sock you up probably right now that's when it comes to you taking accountability of the way you're going to react to it and i like to use that example because it's like yeah that that probably won't really happen okay let's take accountability of your child dying how could you take accountability accountability of that. You know, maybe somebody else, heaven forbid, you don't get in a wreck and one of your children die. It's like, well, how could I take accountability of that? These are things that happen, right? People get punched in the face. People lose their children. People get so addicted to drugs that they can't have their own children. People lose their jobs all of the time. People get speeding tickets, right? You need to take accountability. Maybe you did, it wasn't your fault, but you take accountability moving forward. So I hate when people say, well, how could I take accountability of that? Well, what are you doing right now? You're you're hitting it, man, because what you're saying out loud, I always point this out. You have to ask yourself, what did I do to contribute? Yep. Okay. Like what I got in an accident. Okay. Did you get rear ended? Yeah. So it was my fault. Right. Well, what did you do to contribute? Mm -hmm. Did you leave enough space between you and the person in front? Were you driving in a fashion that they couldn't see? Like you, what did you do to contribute? Because the thing I noticed that every time you say that it's not, it's not my fault, you then make it so that you're a victim. 
Yep. And I'm like, do you want to be a victim or a victor? Because exactly. you can't be both. Ben Carr, he's a stud. Pick, pick what you want and then make the decision. Because, like, look, you might have been in the wrong place. Guess what? Maybe you don't belong in that place. Exactly. We'll, we'll use this for a perfect example. There was a guy I know, borrowed my truck, drove up the canyon. Dude, he slid because it was icy, rolled the truck. I had the truck for a month, dude. Okay. Now, was it his fault? Well, yeah, the, you know, road conditions were bad. You know, he, he and I wasn't driving the truck and the cop came up to him and gave him a ticket. What? Dude, the dude just slid off the road, rolled his truck and he gave him a ticket. That's the law. You did not have control of your vehicle and you went off the road. It doesn't matter if it was an icy road or not. You were in charge of that. So that takes us into step three. Okay. okay. Once you take accountability, once you do your self-evaluation, you can't do anything until you believe in yourself. You, if you don't believe in yourself, I'm not going to believe in you. You freak, you don't even believe in yourself. <laughs> Right. You know, when you talk to people that are making the, you know, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000, and they're just like, hey, you know, I don't know if I can get to 100,000. You're right. I don't believe in you. You right. don't even think it's possible. You know, right. you have to believe that it's possible first. And once you start to believe and manifest and speak positive things, you're going to attract the energy. And if you don't believe in the energy or the law of attraction, I would highly recommend you to learn about that because that's what I did. And baby, it's working. It is working. And then step four is you have to make a plan. I think this is what really gets people. We don't know how to make a plan. For example, if I wanted to start a business, oh, I don't know how to start a business. Good, go to Google. Google, how do I start a business? And then you just go down the line, you go to Reddit, you go to all these sites and step one, I need to figure out how to get an LLC. Well, I don't know how to get an LLC. Okay, why don't you hit up an attorney? They know the answers. Once you get your LLC, then you gotta go open up a bank in that LLC name. Now you show the government that you have a business. Okay, now you're at the pond, you have your fishing pole, now you gotta throw in the fishing line with the hook on it. Okay. So so who are you trying to get me? I'm trying to get schools and I'm trying to get people to listen to my message. So I'm going to start contacting schools, even if it's cold calling, doing marketing, Google ads, making music videos, being heard. But I have to believe in you myself and make the plan. You start, man. Exactly. You don't start like biggest failure. Why did you fail? I didn't start. Yeah. Well, how about that? I thought about it forever. And I, I, I was going to, well, was, you know, that's one thing too. Yeah, I know I was going to join the military, but well, you didn't. I was going to be in the NBA, but I didn't. You know what I mean? Uh, and then step five is to take action. And that's another thing that, well, you know, I want to get fit, but well, did you take out? Well, I work at 5 a.m. Dude, I see people at the gym at 3.30. You know what I mean? Don't use your, don't ever use your excuses to me. And when I use my excuses to somebody else and I get called out, dude, I'm just like, damn you. <laughs> you know, but I do, we all use excuses. We're all human. We all like the easy way. We, you know, we just want to eat the candy and not have to run. You know what I mean? But if you do those five simple steps that I've learned from other people, these aren't Ryan stream steps, but these are steps that I've learned and I've taken and I've put into action, having no job five, six years ago, almost losing my family to driving by the temple and saying, man, babe, I wish we had a house there. Dude, I have a house at the temple. That's not the only house I own. Now we have three businesses. Now we have five incomes and I'm going to start a freaking Amazon store and I'm going to do this and that and this and that. And I'm going to show every person, every underdog that we all are Rocky Balboas, man. It doesn't matter if you get your butt kicked. It doesn't matter if you had food in your stomach all the time. It doesn't matter if your parents were drug addicts. It doesn't matter if you were sued or if you were in jail or if you were in prison. As soon as you start taking accountability of your own life and quit playing the poor me game, that's when you're going to start to win. And stop looking at other people who are climbing the ladder faster or the people that have the Lambos or the girls that have the nice butts and boobs and abs and makeup or 
whatever is distracting people because I, I, you know, I go to a lot of high schools and I know that these young men are, you know, I get a lot of them like, man, hey, I wish I had your muscles. I'm 5'3". I look like I'm big. Hey, maybe I'm not really big. Maybe I am. But it's like, hey, bro, just work on it. And in a few years, you'll be able to see your progress. People are looking at what other people have and they want it tomorrow. And they can't have it tomorrow because it takes a long time for a seed to be prepped, to be watered, to grow. Absolutely. So my advice to them is if you're looking at what you're doing, you're going to win. Because if you're looking at what other people are doing, you're never going to win because you're worried about other people. So start worrying about the fish in your pond, your hook, your fishing pole, and the smile on your freaking face. And let's go. I like what you're saying, man. It's a it's a decision. Just got to decide. I, one, of the, one of the areas I notice that people get... They go sideways. When I talk with like a sales rep that wants mm-hmm. to sell solar with me, I'm like, hey, you're, you're going to go approach that door. You're going to go talk to somebody. Problem is you're going to overthink it. Dude, you're just in the space to make friends. Like stop overthinking it. Just go do it. Mm-hmm. You probably ran in this in the military. Hey, they're like, they, they got you on the plane about ready to tell you to jump up. And they're like, dude, stop thinking about it. Oh yeah. You're, jump. Yep, freaking We've go. done this hundreds and thousands of times. Stop thinking about it. Because if you think about it yep. too long, you won't do That's it. That's the difference stop. between two people. Go. The two people that make it and don't make it. And when I wanted to be the motivational speaker, dude, people laughed at me all the time. I remember after reading on the piece of paper, I thought I'm never going to have people laugh at me again. So I took that piece of paper and I went to empty ballparks, the empty rodeo grounds. So I looked and pictured inside of my mind that this was full of people. Hello, my name is Ryan Stream. And I remember people would run by and I'd get real quiet. <laughs> but dude, two months later, when I when I was just like, I don't give a shit, dude. They would run by and my name is Ryan Stream. I wanted to know that Ryan Stream was out there freaking grinding in a small town of 3,000 people was one day gonna become something. Dude, I have three albums out, working on four, have a top selling book. Bro, I'm doing it. Right. But it doesn't mean I made it. Once you catch a fish, well, you're done fishing or you're going to keep on fishing. I'm not done fishing. Are you done fishing? fishing? You're way ahead of me, bro. Are you done fishing? Oh, Never. Far from it, dude. Never. Far from and it. And we're going to teach people how to fish. That's part of it. I mean, success means that you should have a moral obligation to go out there and help other people do it. Absolutely. Because they, I call this this podcast the Rags Riches Secrets. Love and it. The big difference is, is everybody's got gaps. Mm-hmm. Like They don't know how to go from A to B because of the gap. Yeah. There's things that are stopping them. Like, wait a minute. You think about it. Like, did it usually on the whole collectively, like, did you ever learn how to read without a coach? No. No. So you got somebody that could show you the letter, the sounds of the letters first. This is how we do it. Like, it's it's crazy. They're not going to learn how to read without somebody coming in. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so you guys want the good life. Why not just find the secrets? Like, yeah, you've already dropped secret. You said, hey, I'm going to do accountability. Like, you know, what's cool about your story. And I see the determination and fire in you. Like one of my favorite books, The the Millionaire Next Door. Love it. They, they talk about in that book that they, they want, when they set out trying to figure out the millionaires, they got all these dudes in the room. They look like they were the millionaires and all mm-hmm. kinds of stuff. And they were like, bam, we got it. Only to discover yep. they didn't nope. actually have it. And they called it The Millionaire Next Door because what they discovered is with millionaires, they don't always look it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But they were first generation wealth. They did not get the gift handed to them. Yeah. Nobody came up to them. They ended up discovering it. They discovered this business. Boom, figured it out. They discovered that business. Boom, mm-hmm. figured it out. But what happened is is what I, where I try to play on this is I took a decade to discover that. Why would you want to spend a decade of yeah. your life when we could compress it down to a day? Amen. If you did question for it because there's something that you've done. You could have you, you went to military, or you were out there in Afghanistan, you saw a whole bunch of people get hurt, wounded, saw one guy die. 
you, you well, I, I wasn't there with, let's clarify, I wasn't with him when he died. You know, the, the guy came up to my vehicle and said, your best friend's dead. Okay. And when we passed him, uh, we realized it wasn't my best friend. It was one of our leaders. So, okay. but yeah, dude, we've seen dead body. You know, we don't need to get into that. It wasn't like Vietnam where it was that like that all the time. But the yeah. point we're trying to make is, dude, it sucked and it was difficult. I did not quite fully understand this, that... When, when something happens as a child, it's, it's like metal. It's like you're like a very pliable piece of metal and a very traumatic experience happens. And then that metal cools and it, it, it can be in a mm-hmm. bent. It can be bent and it is hard yep. to correct it. So oh, you, had, yes. you had foster care bent. You saw your mom in a bad situation. You got bent. You saw your dad acting loco. Local. So you got bent. Then you go to the military. Like you experienced that. Boom. Got bent. Like if you were to try to help somebody say, look, this is how you unbend. Because like not. Now let me. Let me. Let me. Let me ask your questions. This when you see a beautiful metal bent into a beautiful picture, what do people usually do? Oh, they're willing to buy it. Yeah, they are. are It's art. It's art. Yeah. So you just said it right there, like all these bends and twists and all the, the struggles and life's adversities, like that's what makes you you. That's what makes us different. If somebody's wanting to listen to my story, they're wanting to listen to my story because they're wanting to listen to how I overcome all of those. Exactly. And do you truly overcome? You know, if you get your arm cut, even though it's healed, do you always have a scar? Usually. A battle wound, right? You always have it. But through that battle scar or that wound, you have advice and steps that could help other people get through that same type of injury. So, you know, how did I do it? At first, I didn't know how to do it. And I about lost my family because of it. And, you know, my military career ended, my job ended. So I needed to get help. I needed to ask somebody that had the true knowledge, the psychology. So I went to a counselor, man. I raised the white flag and said, I need help. And, you know, it's been like pulling teeth. You know, I'm there, I'm not, I'm there, I'm not. I still go to counseling, dude. And it's nice because if you could learn from somebody who has education way ahead of what you have, why would you not want to sit there and learn? Oh, babe, I don't need counseling. Bullshit. We all need counseling. So does your wife. You know what I mean? Like nobody's perfect. So why not get the help that is needed? Why not get tools and learn about balance and learn about boundaries and learn about things that are going to help you? As soon as you learn about boundaries, that alone is going to help you. It's like, you know what? I don't like your energy. I'm free to do whatever I want. I don't want to be around you because I have my boundaries. That alone is going to help so many people. Stop hanging out with friends that are going to tear you down. Start hanging out with the people that are going to help you. You know, one of my favorite, I guess, stories is, uh, you know, the guy that sailed out on the ocean with no map, with no sense of direction. And he, and he gets lost because he doesn't have any sense of direction. He has no plan. He's going to sink. His ship's going to sink. He's going to be caught in the waters. Who knows? Maybe he's going to end up somewhere where he doesn't want to be. But as long as you have a plan, purpose, and people that are willing to get on your ship and help you, dude, you're always going to make it to a point where you're going to be grateful. Kind of interesting how that works. When you talk about having a plan like A to B, like one of the things that people say is like, I want a job. I want this or that. But part in part, it's like walking up to a ticket counter, like to get a plane ticket. It's like, Hey, I want a plane ticket. They're like, where are you going to go? <laughs> I don't know. Send it. What? Like what you tell yep, me where yep. you want to go. Then we'll talk about a plane ticket to yep. a destination. Mm-hmm. But like, you got to be very, you got to start figuring out how to crystallize yep. that. Get very clear in your mind. Cause 
Like, there, there is a very different route if you want to go to Hawaii versus Mexico. Exactly. And, like, just taking a ticket. Well, just just stay right where you're at. Yep. You can save the money on the ticket. But pick a place. Yep. And I think even I struggle with that. You know, sometimes I'm just like, okay, you want to know what? I want to make a million dollars. You know, it's like, okay, yeah, here we go, here we go. But it's like, I'm looking at the puzzle, which is great. Look at the end goal, but you need to focus on the puzzle pieces. And I even struggle with that. I need to continue to be better at writing down. If I'm going to make a sale this week, I need to come up with the numbers. I need to make a hundred calls a week in order to make one sale. Once you figure out those statistics, it's really going to help you because people get discouraged. When I contact, when I went to North Dakota to speak at a small school, dude, I made it a goal. I'm going to contact every school in the state of North Dakota. Dude, I was on the freaking phone and internet for two days and I made one sale, you know, <laughs> but you want to know what? I went out there and I made more money. I got to be in front of more people and I made friends and followers for the rest of my life because I put in the work, you know, so you have to be willing to do that crap. Before you, you know, there's going to come a time where you're going to have money and you're going to pay other people to do that stuff for you. But right now when you're grinding and you're starting and, you know, some of us are throwing the fishing pole out into the water because it slipped out of our hands. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's happened to me before. <laughs> I I went fishing before and I didn't even make it to the water because I tripped and broke the fishing pole. It's going to happen. Crap's going to happen. But you just got to get up, man. And you know figure what? it out. You know what's funny about your story? About that North Dakota one. And in fact, you even mentioned it. Rocky Balboa, right? Love him, dude. Okay. Rocky Balboa. Tony Robbins was interviewing Sylvester Stallone. And he was talking to him about it. Because that was that's the movie that launched his Heck career. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And he was talking to him about it. And he goes, like, what did you do? He says, well, what I did is, because I wanted, I wrote the thing. And I wanted somebody to take it. So I just went to producer after producer. Mm -hmm. And he goes, wow. He says, you just, so you just went to producer after producer after producer. How many uh, producers did you actually go to? And he goes like 3,300. Mm. And Tony Robbins stopped and he looked at him. He's like, <laughs> yeah. he's like bro, there's not even 3,300. He goes, I know. I kept going back yeah. to all of them. Yeah. Over and over and over mm -hmm. until finally somebody just relented yep. and said yes. But then they didn't want to give him the part. They, they didn't, didn't want to pay him his part. money that he was worth. And he's like, dude, like, what are we going to do with some dude with, like, this yep. this gaping? Like, Adrian. his freaking, like, when he was born, they pulled him out with forceps, and it kind of jacked up his face. Mm. Like, dude, nobody wants to look at you, bro. And he's like, then you can't have it. Yep, I'm not selling it to you. I'm not going to sell it. And uh, finally, they're like, fine. But his skin was on the lines. Like, if this thing mm -hmm. sucks, you're not, you're like, you D don't You will much. never have anything. Like, it's going to suck. And wasn't that his wife that was actually in that movie? I think so it was. She has to be in the movie too. Yeah, he's awesome. And they're man. like, what? Wasn't I mean, he was selling his dog. He was doing all sorts he of stuff to make it dog. happen, man. Like, <laughs> he, that's just it. You know, he's... The guy that got in the movie, so he bought his dog back, but the guy didn't want to sell it to him unless he could be in the movie also. Heck yeah. All three of them wound oh, up in man. the movie. So that's an amazing story. Worked. dude. I love that story. That story is actually in my book, man. That's how I was able to kind of jump in and give some parts and... You're right. Freaking work, dude. You got to hustle and put in the work and it sucks. It sucks, dude. Nobody wants a freaking, it's like lifting. I love lifting. I see you at the gym all the time, dude. I love lifting. But when you go to that part where you can't lift the weights, even though it's like, ah, you know, it, it sucks, but it's, that's where you have to be in order to get them gains. You got to be there, right? Yep. Like how many people know who Sylvester Stallone is now? Yeah. Like everybody, right? Yeah, dude. But he started. Yep. He was the underdog, man. I doubt that was even his first screenwriting wrote. That one didn't yep. work. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't remember in the story how many, you know, he's done or wrote before then, but I mean, look at Rambo, dude. When I was in Afghanistan, I mean, dude, those people, the Afghani people that were, I mean, that was a movie. It was like a child. They put it in and watch it again, but put it in because a lot of it took place over there. You know, he was. Oh, 
right. doing it in the mountains of Afghanistan. And, you know, those guys, oh, I got, oh, oh, you know, because Manny <laughs> Rambo would come on the horse and, dude, the people were amped, you know? Right. So we're all looking for a hero. But my best advice to you is stop looking for a hero and be the hero. Be the hero. Be your own hero. Make your seven-year-old self proud and make your 70-year-old self proud. Lance Meeks, buddy. Do it right there, baby. Amen. You hit you hit something powerful right there because a lot of times people are looking for somebody outside of them. Mm-hmm. It's like like a friend of mine, he says, look, he goes, just just understand nobody's going to come to rescue you. No. You got to step up. Mm-hmm. But I tell you what, you start putting yourself in, in places. Yep. People will then... Be attracted you. to you. They will be attracted to yep. you. Yep. But you've got to make yourself a little bit sticky. Yep. Nobody wants to, it's hard to want to stick to somebody who won't who won't try. Exactly. Who won't live. Yeah. Like, sure. I mean, if you see a kid fall down on a bike or your kid falls down on a bike, you're like, oh, let me help you up. Right? Mm-hmm. But like, if you don't try it, how am I going to help you up? You didn't even get on it. Exactly. You know, the biggest thing people want is acceptance. And I've learned that, you know, because, you know, there's so many people that are struggling with mental health or getting people to like them. Or it's like, look, if you're wanting people to like you, or if you're wanting to attract people, you know, me and you, man, we were, our our vibes, our frequency was right off the bat. Because, dude, we smiled at each other, kind of gave like the (laughs) hell yeah, we're both fit and odd, you know. But the number one thing you can do to build relationships and to get people to talk to you, even if you're shy, is just smile smile. If you get their name, remember their name. That's another big thing. And, uh, you know, walk with purpose and confidence and just with positivity and happiness. Cause if you're walking with the attitude that my life sucks, whatever you're thinking about, your body's reacting to that. So if you're depressed and sad, you think you're walking with your chest out and you know what I mean? So if you're having a hard time with mental health or with anything, and I still do, I have to go back to step one. Okay. Doing a self-evaluation. Even if you have to sit on your bed and kick your little legs, like you were a child and say, what could I do? today to better my situation. Number one, my house needs to be cleaned. Number two, I got to start smiling a little bit more, right? Because if your house is dirty, you know, like, I don't know, how could you win? You know what I mean? Like you're, you don't even have your house cleaned up, you know? All right, bro. Dude, we, I appreciate that. It's been a good podcast having you on today. So if somebody wants to come find Ryan's stream, where would they go? You know, the easiest and the best place to find anybody now is Google. Dude, it's like, well, I don't know what to do. Google. Any answer you're looking for is Google, you know? So if you want to purchase my book, if you want to check out my music videos, if you want to get some of my merch or just help me out anyway, get me in front of people, just Google Ryan stream and everything of mine will pop up. Yep. You're like the number one speaker in Utah. So at least well, it should be at least easy to find. Hey, you know, that's neat, man. I, I, you know, when you Google top motivational and speaker, you know, you, you see my name, you know, even maybe I'm not the number one speaker, maybe I am, but uh, my name's still there. So that's powerful. It's credentials. And it's, it just shows that, you know, I, I wanted to be number one and I did whatever it took and I really tried and whether I'm number one or not, Hey man, the credentials are there and you could find my name. So I appreciate all of you that have helped build me because I understand the only way to really build is with other people. So thanks for helping me build. Yeah, dude. Ryan stream. All go right. His, go get his book. Here we go. Conquer the Coliseum. Let's conquer. Conquer your Coliseum. Yep. Let's start conquering your Coliseum and helping other people do it, man. Mike, I think thanks for having me on the podcast today, bro. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. This was a good time. I got a little, a lot of good advice, and uh, I'll meet everybody on top of the mountain. All right. Boom.